Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We do have some breaking news from the MLS as our state has been in pursuit of an expansion franchise, both Charlotte and separately the city of Raleigh. Buckeye Bird is calling in from Wilmington with more storytelling. Steph Curry's seed money for a Howard University golf program, which got its start in a random encounter with a young Howard University student seven months ago, and now is an actuality. That's a chance encounter that led to something very impactful in that world. What sports figure, our question to you today is, what sports figure changed your world during or after a personal interaction? You can chime in with your story at 1-800-849-2761. A lot of examples of chicken soup for the sports soul. We'll get back to the survey of NBA rookies where their, their colleagues voted Zion Williamson the most likely NBA rookie of the year, but voted his former Duke teammate Cam Reddish of the Atlanta Hawks, remember, selected third from his own college team. It was Zion number one to the New Orleans Pelicans. It was R.J. Barrett to the New York Knicks. It was Cam Reddish later in the lottery to the Atlanta Hawks. Whereas most of these rookies' answers were predictable, Zion as the most likely rookie of the year. Ja Morant of Memphis of the second most likely NBA rookie of the year. The only answer that shocked me, Cam Reddish, a guy who didn't even make the ACC's all-rookie team, got the most votes, 19% for which, th which of this year's NBA rookies will have the best long-term NBA career. Now, this vote was splintered. Zion got 5% of this boat, vote. Former UNC point guard Kobe White, another one-and-done guy, now at the Chicago Bulls, he got 5%. R.J. Barrett, now at the Knicks, formerly of Duke, got 5%. So a lot of familiar names to us. DeAndre Hunter of UVA actually finished third with 11%. I like DeAndre Hunter on and off the court. I don't think he's going to be an elite pro. And if you're going to be the best player from your entire class, I mean, unless you just have a total dud of a draft class, you're going to have to be all-star caliber at some point. I would be more likely to believe Zion would become an all-star, Kobe White would become an all-star, R.J. Barrett would become an all-star, and even others, before the name Cam Reddish would cross my mind, much less my lips. I'm rooting for him. I wish him well. He's from my hometown of Westchester, Pennsylvania, or at least he played there. So I, I enjoyed talking to him with that while he was at Duke. He had a disappointing freshman season with the Blue Devils, to be candid about it. Duke wouldn't describe it that way for obvious reasons. That's a PR thing more than a truth serum thing. Zion's a crazy good success story. R.J. Barrett and Zion were one of the best tandems as freshmen in the history of such things. The history of college basketball, you show me a one-two punch much better than Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett. I mean, as freshmen, one, both being freshmen in the one-two punch. Cam Reddish was like the third wheel in that freshman class. Not only did he not make All-American, not only did he not make All-ACC, he was not one of the five best rookies in the league, and it wasn't even close. He was a good defender. He was supposed to be a great three-point shooter, and he shot 33% from beyond the stripe. The shot gets harder at the next level, not easier. Maybe there's a magic wand story waiting to happen with Cam Reddish now that he's with the Atlanta Hawks. Maybe not being in Zion and RJ's shadow. That has to be a part of this vote. Maybe he can just spread his wings and become all he really is in a different environment. That has to be behind the 19% of vote. It was the only shocking part of the survey. Play is no play is, in theory. 
their votes matched my votes in almost every other category. So I felt like I was on the same page. What they're seeing as 19 to 21-year-olds is what we're seeing as media members and fans. Like, okay, yeah, you see the same playmakers I see. You see the same three-point shooters that I see. You see the same athleticism, Zion Williamson, 87% of the vote for the best athlete in the class of 2019. That's, again, among his contemporaries voting that, 87%. How could you even vote? think of voting for anybody else in that category? All of your answers on those categories probably match these young men's answers. In that one, if your answer matches theirs, you're looking at a totally different world than I am. I wish Cam well. There might be 10 guys that I believe have a better chance to be an NBA All-Star than the Cam Reddish that I saw through a largely disappointing six months in a Duke Blue Devils uniform. You can chime in on that with your question or comment as well. 1-800-849-2761. The breaking news from the MLS is that as we've been discussing and predicting, St. Louis has been announced earlier today, or just this hour, I think, as the latest MLS expansion team. That does bring them to 28 clubs, not already on the field, but 24 on the field, four more already announced as being on the way. They're, they're getting to 30 soon. I believe Charlotte, North Carolina, and Sacramento, California are right now the front runners for those two slots. Does that mean it's a done deal? No, it does not. David Tepper has bolstered the Charlotte bid. The MLS is not in love with Bank of America Stadium as a soccer venue. That's where the Panthers play football, of course. If the, if the Charlotte bid gets over that hump, given David Tepper's $13 billion with a B dollars and some of the season ticket surveys they've done and the research market-wise that they've done, advertisers already on board, sponsors already committing to buying luxury boxes at Bank of America Stadium. I really think the MLS is coming to the to, to state of North Carolina. St. Louis remembers a top 20 or so market and as such is one of the biggest without MLS soccer. Well, guess what the most populous, biggest state, biggest population market in the entire United States is without the MLS right now? the state of North Carolina. And we have two pretty big metropolitan areas, if not more, and they're both bidding for an expansion franchise. If Raleigh gets that soccer-specific stadium in downtown Raleigh, the southern part, as Steve Malik of NCFC and his cohorts are trying to pull off, and they have real estate magnets on board as well, then Raleigh rockets up the pecking order. But St. Louis became official. Sacramento, I think, will be 29 or 30. And at least right now, I think Charlotte is in the pole position, if you will. Good NASCAR reference, city of Charlotte, get it? The pole position to be 29 or 30 along with Sacramento. Raleigh has to ramp up fairly quickly that soccer proposal, right? You need governmental help. You need market research help. You need advertising commitments. You get that stadium, you're going to catch their attention. Right now, David Tepper's $13 billion and ready for soccer, even if it's not soccer-specific stadium, has the attention of the MLS. St. Louis officially number 28 today uh, in an official announcement by Major League Soccer. 1-800-849-2761. Buckeye Burt is listening in Wilmington. The storytelling day continues thanks to Steph Curry. And Buckeye Burt encountered... Rocky Calavito, who's a member of the Cleveland Indians Baseball Hall of Fame, while he was what? Not selling beer this day, Bert. You wisely chose to cater to the kids. Tell us the rest of what happened in your storytelling of the day. Okay, David. So after the 
Two hours after the game, I walked with Rocky four blocks to his hotel because I was catching the bus going back. All right. And I, I made good money. If I was selling beer, I'd have walked four miles each way. <laughs> the fare was a quarter. <laughs> Rocky asked me what I planned to do with my later life. He says, you're going to be selling hot dogs? He says, you're one of the top guys down here. I see the way you hustle. He says, you're, he says, you're, you're a great vendor. Uh, he says, how are you doing in school, my friend? I said, oh, C's and D's. I'm just barely getting by. Well, he says, you know, my son, the more you put into life, the more you get out of it. Wow. That was 60 years ago, right about this date. It was the latter part of August. Wow. I became a straight-A student after missing like 17 and a half days each year. 18 days, you flunked everything. What? Well, how old, Bert, how old were you when you had this encounter with Rocky Calavito? 15 years old. Say that again? 15. Wow. Twenty years later, twenty-two years later, I was the math teacher at that school. Straight <laughs> A student. Man, that's that's, how Rocky motivated and turned my life around. That's awesome. And and so we're talking about what would this be? The the late fifties or early sixties? Uh, we're talking about nineteen fifty-nine. Okay, I just turned seventy-five a couple weeks ago on well, the fourth of August. Well, happy birthday to you! I just had a birthday on August seventeenth. I'm really glad you called today because that is exactly the kind of story, storytelling we like. With his motivation. Yeah. And at 15 years old, you already had that kind of job where you're hawking beers and dogs at the Indians yep. games. Yep. And, and hey, so, I was hawking beers. I, I was hawking beers back then. I looked like I was 13 years old. Wow. I, mean, I looked much older, and you had to be 18. I said, "Sure, I'm 18." They said, oh. We know you're not. <laughs> and, and yet they let me sell beer anyhow. Yeah. And hot dogs and peanuts, popcorn, hot dogs, beer. I sold it all. So basically, you were going to school during the day, not a great student, as you described, missing a lot of school, but you would, right. be, you would be mostly able to be the, the vendor, the concession vendor at night? Yep. Man, so you, were, you had a work ethic, clearly. You just didn't apply that work ethic very well to your academics at the time. I'd sleep sometimes an hour or two a night, sometimes not even, and... That's what he motivated me to do, turn my life around. And was it a light bulb moment for you? Like Indian star Rocky Calavito. This is a guy who played in like six or so all-star games, like Indians right. Hall of Fame again, right? So right. this is a huge, huge figure in the sports world of the city of Cleveland. Right. Like he in that the way he got his strong arm, he could throw somebody out from dead center almost. And when he was eight and nine years old, walking along the railroad tracks to and from school in New York, He'd pick up a stone and throw it harder and further than the one before. Man. So while that young muscle was developing, this five- and six-year-old child got stronger and stronger and stronger. He had a cannon for an arm. So credit to him, credit to him for taking you, I mean, as a very young man, under his wing and offering you this kind of life advice. Did you know that day, Bert, if Rocky said it, I got to make this happen, or did it take a while to sink in? It took a while to sink in. It actually, my, my, after being a CD student, uh, the, the, the previous year after he said that, I was uh, straight B's, and then I moved up to a straight A student, went to college, went to graduated from Ohio State, and was the math teacher at that school. Hence Buckeye Burt. I get it now. Excellent, man. That's a great story. Darren, the next time somebody asks us why we take phone calls as often as we do, why we ask listeners to be as big a part of our show as they are, can you just play Buckeye Burt's phone call to us? I mean, that's great stuff. Whatever you get in sports radio today, we've already broken down some NFL, some NBA, and some other things, and I'm happy to talk about such things. Is there anything more valuable in any sports radio show in the country today 
than Buckeye Burt sharing that part of his life experience. The guy's busting his rump, selling dogs and beers at 13 to 15 years old. Like, seriously, put that up against anything else. I love sports. But if we don't assume that our listeners have valuable things to offer, I mean, heck, I get accused of being like the know-it-all guy that thinks I know everything. I think the best evidence that shows I know I don't know everything is that I want our statewide listeners. We live in a state with 10 million-plus people, and millions of them listen to us over enough time. Why would we shut the door on the expertise, the wisdom, the life experience of millions of people, assuming that whatever we say from our pulpit is more valuable at all times than that? Like, some people actually have that philosophy. And you know my bottom line in sports radio is to each his own, to each her own. I tend to not criticize others for their way. Oh, we don't take calls. That's ridiculous. That's a cop-out. That's, that's bad sports radio. That's bad sports radio? That's better sports radio than 95% of the people who say that that's bad sports radio. You know what I'm saying? That's, I was inspired. That's why we do it. Come on, man. Everybody out there has a story worth telling. God knows I'm not going to be shy when the conversation turns into my areas of expertise in sports and sometimes even beyond. I'm not going to be that guy ever. I think more people need to speak more forcefully on matters within their wheelhouse rather than let the idiots have the stage in the political world, the society, or in sports radio. But why would you shut millions of doors on stories and contributions like that? It's just illogical to me, and I have much higher expectations of our statewide audience than that. That is why we do it as we do it. We still have guests. Mick Mixon from Panthers camp on the NFL third hour. E.J. Manuel, the former Florida State QB and NFL QB from the ACC Network, also third hour. But if we just went three straight hours, never with any phone calls, man, come on. We've gotten a, we got a great defense of Daniel Jones today coupled with our observations on Baker Mayfield's shot at Daniel Jones. And we got Buckeye Bird from Wilmington sharing. And that's a very personal story to tell. Wouldn't that be something you'd tell, like, your own grandchild? Or I don't know, if you had, like, a, if you had a date with a Storm Squad member. I mean, I'm just picking a, a random example. And you had a story like that from your past. Wouldn't you work that into the dinner conversation? Tell me you wouldn't. If your grandfather had that story to tell. I, maybe it was a honeybee that you were taking to dinner. These are just fun, random examples. Could be a school teacher. I don't know. I'm just thinking <laughs> out loud here. Wouldn't you work that story into the dinner conversation? If I or someone I had known had met Rocky Colavito, I don't know. Maybe that might that might that might alienate uh, someone who's not as interested in baseball. But I geek out on it. I want to take Buckeye Burt. I don't know if he's a beer drinker. He was selling them, though, at 13 to 15 yeah. years old. <laughs> I would imagine he probably has had a beverage I want to take him to Jimmy's at Red Dogs right there in Wrightsville Beach and, and just have as many as he's comfortable having with the host of this show. <laughs> and, and I will do 10% of the talking and 90% of the listening for Buckeye Burt. Maybe that's his best story, but he might have a whole cavalcade of such things. I don't know. Sounds like he's led an interesting life. That's a heck of a turnaround, man. Do you have a story like that? I mean, you're a, you're a late 20s or whatever you are, early 30s, 
uh, happy birthday, whenever your birthday is. You're representing the 20s and 30-somethings. Did, did, you, did you have a fork in the road there? You didn't know my birthday was August 17th. I didn't get a card. Oh, I knew it was August 17th. Right. Come on now. All right. Did you have a pivotal moment like that, Buckeye Burt? That's a, that's, he said it took a while to sink in, but it's fairly close to a light bulb moment. Sure. Uh, I, I don't know if I've got a comparable story. Um, you just probably, you were so squeaky clean, you didn't have any D's and F's to clean up on your report card. Squeaky Darren Vaught just doesn't have it. He, he, he shot out of the womb with most of the answers to the most difficult questions. He probably has been that good for that long. I'm not sure. What are you, 27, 32, 40? 20, you're allowed to drink, right? When I buy you those <laughs> yeah, beers, I'm yeah, not, all right, yeah. all right, you're in there somewhere. The older you get, it all starts looking the same, Darren. 1-800-849-2761. Kevin is in Raleigh and will be able to join us on the other side. Certainly, if you have a Steph Curry-type story to share today, you can chime in. What sports figure changed your world during or after a personal interaction? Buckeye Burt was forever improved by that exchange with Indians Hall of Famer Rocky Calavito. 1-800-849-2761. Mick Mixon on the NFL later. E.J. Manuel on college football season, which is almost here. Miami against Florida this Saturday night on ESPN. E.J. played for the Seminoles, so knows those other two teams really well as well. Did you know each NFL Nation writer at ESPN.com was asked to select someone for that team's hot seat. David Newton of ESPN, who covers the, Camp the Panthers for them, chose not a player, but the head coach, Ron Rivera. Question for Panthers fans, which player or coach would you single out for the proverbial hot seat this season? Most writers chose players, and I'll give you a quick sampling from elsewhere in the NFL as we explore the Ron Rivera aspect of the Panther story. As David Newton wrote at ESPN.com earlier today, if there is no trip to the playoffs, it is hard to imagine team owner David Tepper not making a major move on Ron Rivera. Rivera's taken the Panthers to four playoff trips in his eight seasons. He and Cam Newton, of course, attached at the hip. They've been there for the same eight seasons, et cetera. The Panthers were ranked, by the way, 18th out of 32 in ESPN's preseason power rankings, which were posted this morning. That would not be reflective of an expected playoff team. 18 out of 32 means they view you in that average-ish range. I think the Panthers, if healthy, will be better than that. Who is your Panthers player or coach that you'd single out for the proverbial hot seat this season? ESPN says Ron Rivera is the right answer. Kevin and Raleigh, your phone calls too. More on the survey of NBA rookies published yesterday at NBA.com. Cam Reddish will actually have the best career of any 2019 NBA draft pick in the long term? Is it, does anybody else believe that? I say that candidly because we've watched a lot of these top draft picks frequently over the last year, in every case, over multiple years in some other cases. I just don't see it. Talk me into it if your crystal ball leads to that answer. I'd think of 10 other guys, including two of his Duke teammates, before I would think of Cam Reddish. 1-800-849-2761. Back to your calls and those stories next on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. 
quick email that I can answer. DG with St. Louis is a top 20 or so market getting the MLS. Are we at the point where all of the top 25 markets have MLS teams except, and he's done his research, like Charlotte and I believe in the TV world they call Raleigh-Durham-Fayetteville a TV market. So I don't want to get into those details because I'm not an expert on those details. Heck, we're in radio and I'm barely an expert on radio. Heck, I'm not an expert on radio, so I'm certainly not on TV markets. But the answer to your question is Tampa is a huge market. They don't have an MLS team. Phoenix is a huge market. They don't have an MLS team. Detroit, huge market, no MLS team. Cleveland, I mean, the Columbus team is like in the same state. I forget how far away those two cities are from each other. But Cleveland's, it's certainly a top 25 market, doesn't have one. Sacramento is a top 25 market. I believe with St. Louis being announced today, Sacramento is likely to be next announced. And again, I believe either Charlotte or Raleigh is going to get a team with Charlotte in the pole position again with David Tepper's money behind him. So the better way to put it in answer to your question is being a top 25 market doesn't guarantee you a team. Being a top 25 market gets your foot in the door. There are a couple of teams from smaller markets, but just saying, yeah, we're a top 25 market. I'd have to do a deeper dive, but I believe like 20 of the top 25 TV markets have an MLS team. So you don't get one because you're that big and you have such a population, but you have much of what you need to get across the finish line. In other words, without being a large market, you have an uphill battle. But just because you have a large market, if you don't have the right owner, if you don't have the right stadium, you're going to fall. Or if you have a track record of problems promoting and sustaining pro sports, then you might fall by the wayside. Tampa, I mean, look at their baseball teams, a disastrous situation. They've had other problems supporting other teams. So Tampa is the biggest market without the MLS. But being a top 10-ish market, in their case, even bigger than either Charlotte or Raleigh-Durham-Fayetteville, that doesn't get you across the finish line. Again, I'm sure the MLS, under perfect circumstances, would love to add the biggest market that they don't currently have, right? But why is Tampa not a real contender? Why is Phoenix not a real contender? Why is Detroit not a real contender? They either lack the mega-billionaire owner or they lack a soccer-specific stadium where all the T's are crossed and all the I's are dotted. So your population and market size get you into the race, but you better have the right owner, the right stadium, and the right plan to differentiate yourself. That's the bottom line. Again, the MLS is at 28. They're going to someday get to 32, but they've already announced they're going to get to 30. Sacramento and Charlotte, North Carolina, I think, are the best bets to become number 29 and number 30. And I mean with announced within the next couple of years. If you're Raleigh or one of the others, and Raleigh is on the short list, you don't have a lot of time to catapult past Charlotte or Sacramento for those last two positions in the announced part of the MLS expansion. If you didn't know, the current expansion fee is $200 million, and that number only goes up historically, given that the MLS has gone from kind of scramble mode from much of the 1990s and even into the 2000s into a very viable economic model with great attendance numbers. We were talking earlier today about how College football and Major League Baseball are similar in the sense that they're making more money than ever thanks to TV, but they're both in long-term attendance declines. 
and baseball officials are concerned about it, and college football officials have had declining attendance, I think it's five years in a row for the first time since before all of us were born. Those are bad trends, but you're making so much money on the TV side that it's not killing you that fewer people are showing up in stadiums. The MLS is actually, for now, the reverse business model. They don't get great TV ratings. You know, the Women's World Cup team does, but their routine MLS game doesn't get great TV ratings. It, does, it pales even in comparison to foreign soccer matches televised here in the United States. EPL, La Liga, Bundesliga, etc. So there are different paths to success in professional sports, and there's no doubt about the viability. Is it more profitable to be the TV first product? Of course, by a lot. Mega millions, billions even. But the MLS, by filling stadiums, and getting improving TV ratings, you know, they have found first stability. And now, you know, $200 million <laughs> as an expansion fee is a reflection of the value that you are offering. And St. Louis is in as of earlier today. 1-800-849-2761. Kevin in Raleigh has a story to share. Steph Curry had a random encounter with a Howard University golfer seven months ago. The young man said to Steph, I know you love golf, man. Would you believe I had to turn down an opportunity to play college golf to attend my favorite school, Howard? But we don't have men's or women's golf programs here at this HBCU. Steph said, hey, send me an email. I wonder if I can do something about that. Seven months later, Steph Curry yesterday just announced planning the seed money for Howard University's golf programs. Our question as a result of that was what sports figure changed your world during, your, during or after a personal encounter. Kevin in Raleigh has a story to share from the wrestling world, or maybe the wrestling world, I'm not sure, but he's bringing up a name that I remember from NC State back in the early 1990s. Kevin, welcome to the program. Hey, DG. Hey, man, what's going on? I, this so is you one, remember this, the bear then? This is one of the largest human beings whose hand I've ever shaken. Topping that list, by the way, is Andre the Giant. I got to shake his hand as a little kid. Sylvester Turkey, formerly of NC State and the pro wrestling world, had to be what, 6'6", 330? In my memories, he was bigger than that. (laughs) Tell us why. (laughs) What was your memory? When I got to State, you know, I I was like 160, but you got the buffet and the gym, and I popped up to like 210. You go, man. And I had, like, all these little positive motivation post-it notes all over the room, like, you can do it, you know, (laughs) we go, all these things to keep me going. And I decided to walk on, and Coach Guzzo did not cut me on day one, which was amazing. Um, But I was too big to wrestle the people of my comparable skill. Okay. So... One time oh, no. he had to oh, go no. wrestle bear. Oh no! You're you're not going to go head to head with Sylvester <laughs> Turkey, are you? If by the way, as you continue your story, let me remind people, and you correct me, Kevin, if you know these details better than I do. Sylvester Turkey, prior to of course being a pro wrestler, represented the Wolfpack in the NCAA tournament, and and you almost can't make this stuff up. I believe that he ras- wrestled traditional rest- college wrestling, Kurt Angle. For yep. the NCAA title. Yep. So they both went into pro wrestling after being the finalists in the early 90s at some point for the NCAA heavyweight wrestling championship. And poor Kevin, what you were, what, a, uh, a warm up for Sylvester oh Turkey? It, it, 
You know, your your memories make things worse, but like I think my feet touched the ceiling. <laughs> so and so how long did you last in this? Was it a one time oh, thing? Was, that was it. Yeah. I I, I did not even clean out my locker. <laughs> I just went back to the dorm. I took down all those post-it notes, and I went up to Hillsborough Street and got one laminated that just said, <laughs> know your limitations. Now, in the actual match with Sylvester Turkey, did you, la- like, did you last 60 seconds? or? No, God, no. Not. I mean, he just grabbed me and threw me, and yeah. I was like, Okay. I figured <laughs> that, that's kind of unfair. I, I didn't. I didn't wrestle. Uh, I only wrestled in high school gym class. I told a famous story one time. Well, famous to me, uh, that I was wondering why I was m- advancing through my weight class bracket. I didn't. I was not a good wrestler. I was a baseball player, but I was athletic enough that I, I beat a guy I thought I would beat. Then I beat a couple of guys where I felt like they weren't trying their hardest. And I had no idea why, and then I realized that the Delaware State champion is my weight. And the reason the guys were losing to me on purpose is that they didn't want to face, I mean, he was no Sylvester Turkey, but he was the beast of the state of Delaware in wrestling and whatever my weight class was at the time. And it is just, it is exhausting. It is humiliating to be on the wrong end. But at least this guy was my weight. Like, I'll take the blame. He learned his craft. I was a baseball player masquerading in gym class as a wrestler. Got my tail kicked. But in your case, like, it's almost criminal to put you in the ring against Sylvester Turkey, given a 100-plus pound. Like, isn't that against the rules at some point? I don't even know. It was, <laughs> it, it was very instructable, whatever the term would be. But not as good as Ohio Pete, but yeah, I, I learned a very valuable lesson that day. Buckeye Burt did t- teach us an even better life lesson, but I'll take Kevin's on top of it. Thanks for sharing, man. That's a blast from the past for me. I had started covering the ACC in the late 80s, and of course, you know, like everybody else, gravitated most toward football and men's basketball and the most famous sports. But, you know, when you're low on the totem pole early in your career, you get all kinds of assignments. I mean, Darren, you're past getting told what you have to cover, probably, now that you're 21. I, uh, I, I, for the most part, yes, that's true. Yeah, but you know those days. So, like, whoever's higher in the pecking order gets the Duke-Carolina basketball game. Right. And then you're wherever. I mean, you might be covering NCAA gymnastics. Or Sylvester Turkey against DG Show Caller. <laughs> uh, he, by the way, I don't think he made it in the WWE, Sylvester Turkey. But look, there are other leagues around the world. And when you're 6'6", 320 or 30 pounds, one of the humans, largest human beings I've ever shaken hands with, uh, I don't know if he's still in the area, but he's retired by now. He did some movies. I mean, I imagine there are some roles for you if you're one of the larger human beings any of us has ever seen. Uh, But he was a pro wrestler for, I think, like a decade in Japan and elsewhere. He went by, I don't know what nickname he had when he was pummeling Kevin at NC State. Kevin called him the Bear. Okay. I didn't know if that was a nickname or just... Oh, I don't know. I felt like I was wrestling a grizzly bear kind of thing. (laughs) Could have been. Professionally, he went by the Predator or the Escape E. And he did... Have a showdown. Uh, Kurt Angle, you probably know only as a wrestler, right? 
You yeah, might, you might yeah, not he have was known a, he was a prominent, an NCAA wrestler. Yeah, he was a prominent professor, but that was part of his gimmick. They brought they they sort of parlay, parlayed his success as a Greco-Roman style okay. wrestler. So, so yeah, even, you would, you even brought a, a traditional approach inside the WWE ring. It's so funny how life works sometimes. Kurt Angle is most famous for being a professional wrestler, and yet he was, I mean, what's the greater accomplishment? He was both an NCAA champion and an Olympic gold medalist. Yeah. That's how you knew him. So, like, to me, the other two are more impressive, like, in terms of accomplishment. Well, sure. They're I not. don't think they hand you scripts. <laughs> yeah. It's not, a, it's not a, it's not a writer telling you you're an NCAA champion. Now, again, all due respect, there's a skill athletically and a skill in the dramatic arts when it comes to being a pro wrestler. You know how I feel about pro wrestlers. I am, I give bonus points for selling a character that's impossible to sell. Now, Kurt Angle was more himself just an exaggerated version of himself right yeah yeah oh yeah he, he played the role as he even went by kurt angle in right his so WWE his pro days. name was his and real he, name. he wore you know a stars and bars singlet wore his gold medal out to the ring a lot of the time so he was playing an exaggerated version of himself so kurt angle edged nc state's sylvester turkey i looked it up for the 1992 ncaa division one heavyweight championship that, that, that actually happened in college sports. I believe Turkey ended up winning the NCAA the final, following year before going into pro wrestling as well. Great blast from the past. Great storytelling from our statewide audience, 1-800-849-2761. You know my favorite example in the history of pro wrestling of someone successfully selling a character that if you knew this person is a real person, you would consider it an Academy Award-winning performance of all time. Do you know who that is from my blast? Yours from the is past? George the Animal Steel. That is correct. George the Animal Steel, in real life, was a highly intelligent school teacher, and yet his role, as I grew up watching wrestling in Pennsylvania, mostly the old WWF as they called it, he was this Beauty and the Beast beast character. He had to grunt, like he's teaching young people whatever science math or something else and he's barely able to form words and he sold it he had a hairy back remember he had like a green tongue and he was so beastly rather than these athletic acrobats right that his go-to moves included eating the turnbuckle so there's stuffing flying out of the protective gear in the corner in the squared circle and in did you are you old enough to have seen George the Animal Steel? Yeah. Oh yeah. I, when I was when, when I was you, much younger, you, I was you, a, a big professional wrestling so fan. Here's so here's the I, question. Yeah. Here's the question. When you watched George the Animal Steel wrestle, did you think smart human beings acting or did you just say, "Man, this guy's out of his mind." He had that wide eyes like he scared you. He he, he played super dumb. Like if he was winning a match, maybe after raking him over the eyes with the stuffing from the turnbuckle or, or grabbing a foreign object from inside his tights. I mean, George, George didn't stay between the lines while he was chasing the lovely Elizabeth or while trying to beat his opponent. The school teacher, because he was the beast character and had to be dumb, grunting at interviews, you know, wagging his tongue. I mean, Michael Jordan had a tongue wag. George the Animal Steel had a dumb version of the tongue wag. He wanted you to think that he was part animal, part human. Hence, George the Animal Steel, right? 
did you think school teacher <laughs> actor? All right. Or so did you did you believe? <laughs> Did he become his character right before your eyes in a way that Keanu Reeves is still trying to do on the Hollywood silver screen? <laughs> All right, so well, I was... At least since I Bill was, and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That was, was the real Keanu Reeves, and he's been faking it ever since. I was like four, five, six years old around the time I was watching George the Animal Steal right. in the ring, so I was a little more likely to believe what I was being sold, right? Uh, I, I agree with your point, though, right? I mean, he, he, was, he sold it perfectly. 1-800-849-2761. Back to your calls and those NBA, NFL, and college football stories. Players no players most of the time in the NBA. More on that story with more of your phone calls next on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Quick reminder, the Big Tailgate Tours 2019 edition is almost here. You can go to BigTailgateTour.com and find our whole schedule. Remember, people win four free Continental tires. People win Tailgate of the Week honors. People win in rare cases. And there are only five flags soaring over tailgates across this great state that say David Glenn Show, Big Tailgate Tour, Tailgate of the Year. Many of those folks have become like members of our family. They are eligible to win again. Although we've never had a multi-time tailgate of the year winner. You can always send us an email to tell us where you're going to be. Remember, we start, for example, with ECU's trip to NC State. We set up at Backyard Bistro right across the street from uh, Carter-Finley Stadium. We do roam the parking lots. We encourage you to come see us at Backyard Bistro. If you tell us ahead of time where you'll be tailgating, we might just show up like with Storm Squad members from the Carolina Hurricanes in tow. And frankly, it's more fun to talk to them than it is to us. But you might win the tailgate of the year or week prize, which qualifies you. Only 12 qualify for the tailgate of the year honor, which comes with thousands of dollars worth of prizes, including four free Continental tires for the grand prize winner. 1-800-849-2761. Kyle is in Raleigh and wants to share a story today. Steph Curry's random encounter with a college student led to just yesterday, seven months later, Steph Curry essentially endowing a golf program at Howard University, an HBCU that had not hosted D1 golf before. That story and that personal encounter inspired this question of the day. What sports figure changed your world somehow during or after a personal encounter? Kyle is next on the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Hey, David. Good to talk to you. I'll try to keep this to the important details. Um, I grew up idolizing Lou Holtz for whatever reason. I, I don't know why, but I did. I read his books. I listened to his speeches. Cool. I was infatuated, I was infatuated with Lou Holtz, and I still am. Um, I'm 35 years old now. When I was 17, um, I was living in Columbia, South Carolina, and realized the dream of not only getting to meet Lou Holtz, but played some golf with him. My buddy and I were making the turn at Wood Creek Farms. He was out on the range. We went and introduced ourselves to him and asked him to play the back nine with us, and he actually declined. He said, boys, i got to go home, but thank you, and talked to us a little bit and left. Well, sun was going down, so we played the back nine really quick, and got up to 17, which looks back down 16, and we see this cart coming up the cart path. And it's, and it, it, he comes up and comes around and comes to the tee, and it's Lou Holtz. And he asks, he goes, uh, he goes, do you boys mind if I play in with you? So we played the last two holes uh, at Wood Creek Farms in Columbia, South Carolina with Lou Holtz. That's cool. So 
So that had a, a just him alone has had a lasting impact on me. But as you can imagine, as a 17 year old, that that stuck with me. So oh, by the way, um, did you ever collect? Maybe this was part of why you became enamored with Lou Holtz as a young guy. Did you ever collect his quotes? Because just like Newt Rockney of Notre Dame was famous, you know, win one for the Gipper and all that stuff. Or right. Nowadays, we have right. David Cutcliffe at Duke. I, I imagine if I had a radio show back in the 1970s when Lou Holtz was the head coach at State, Darren, you'd be inviting Coach Holtz on in a weekly time slot, the way Coach Cut has joined us. And he'd be charming us and spinning tails and dropping pearls of wisdom the way Coach Cut does here in 2019. But I, I remember, and Lou Holtz has been our guest. It's just he's been that as you know, a broadcaster or later in his coaching career, virtually nothing is impossible in this world if you just put your mind to it and maintain a positive attitude. Now, there are variations of that, but that's like a Lou Holtz-ism. And when I was a young guy, you know, I collected corny quotes like that. And I I believe it matters, man. Maybe not as much as Buckeye Burt was impacted by Rocky Colavito, but uh, you obviously were touched by Lou Holtz in a way that I think a lot of other people were too. Well, yeah, I'm obviously not the only one that was touched by him, but I mean, you look at the way he lived his life and what he accomplished, and he's the he's the poster child for uh, having nothing and accomplishing everything. Good point. Thanks for sharing your story, Kyle. Darren, you want another corny Lou Holtzism? You ready? Right. I know you you've been gathering these. Like, do you pay to be the producer of the David Glenn Show, given the pearls that we drop on a daily basis? No, you're compensated. Maybe we deduct a pearl tax, a pearls of wisdom tax from your paycheck. Ability is what you're capable of doing. Motivation determines what you do. Attitude determines how well you do it. Another Lou Holtzism as shared here on the David Glenn Show years ago. We're back after this. We have quarterback news all over college football and the ACC, including named starters after preseason long searches. E.J. Manuel was a star quarterback for the Florida State Seminoles, an ACC champion as well, drafted into the NFL, played for the Buffalo Bills, and now works with the ACC Network. Mick Mixon in 35 minutes on the NFL. E.J. Manuel next on the David Glenn Show. 